Long history. The southern United States in the 1500s, part 7. Crossing Georgia and South Carolina. Welcome everyone to episode 7 of Long History's The Southern United States in the 1500s. If you're new to Long History's growing collection of source documents, this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southern United States. That includes Florida, Arkansas and most of the states in between. Hernando de Soto headed the expedition, which began in April 1538. This text though was actually written by a man called Gentleman of Elvers. He was a Portuguese man, so this text was originally in Portuguese, and he took part in the whole expedition. This is the seventh episode, so we've already released six episodes for this document, so if you haven't heard them already, I'm sure they're just a few clicks away. And to be notified of when the rest are available, don't forget to subscribe. So back to this current document and in the previous episode, De Soto was in the area of Apalache Bay on the Florida Panhandle. He was near the coast looking for a suitable port so he could communicate with Cuba, but he was also seeking out the most powerful leaders in the area. On the advice of a local man, De Soto's plans become more defined when he decides to head east and north, towards rich lands ruled by a powerful woman. He crossed over into today's Georgia in the previous episode and the events in this episode take him through Georgia and South Carolina. Now of course because those places didn't exist, it isn't made explicit in the text when they reach these places. Specific dates seem to be up for debate. But for example, I found one source that says he crossed into South Carolina on April the 21st, 1540. But having said that, I don't know these areas and I'm sure there are people who live in those parts who have a much better geographical understanding of the places where De Soto went. This episode, however, begins on the 12th of April 1540 with De Soto, known as the governor in this text, leaving a town called Osute, which is in today's Georgia. Here we go, therefore, with the southern United States in the 1500s, part 7, crossing Georgia and South Carolina. On Monday, the 12th of April, the governor took his departure, the cacique of Osute giving him 400 tamames, the Indians that carry burdens. He passed through a town, the lord of which being called Kofaki, and came to the province of another named Patofa, who, being at peace with the chief of Osute and other neighbouring lords, had heard of the governor for a long time and desired to see him. He went to call on him and made this speech. Powerful lord, not without reason now will I ask that some light mishap befall me, in return for so great good fortune and deem my lot a happy one, since I have come to what I most wished in life, to behold and have the opportunity in some way to serve you. Thus, the tongue casts the shadow of the thought, but I nevertheless am as unable to produce the perfect image of my feelings as to control the appearances of my contentment. By what circumstance has this, your land which I govern, deserved to be seen by one so superior and excellent that all on earth should obey and serve him as a prince. And those who here inhabit being so insignificant, how can they forget in receiving this vast enjoyment that, in the order of things, will follow upon it some great adversity? If we are held worthy of being yours, we can never be other than favoured nor less than protected in whatsoever is reasonable and just. For they that fail of deserving either, with the name of men, can only be considered brutes. From the depth of my heart, and with the respect due to such a chief, I make mine offer, and pray that, in return for so sincere goodwill, you dispose of me, my country, 
and my vassals. The governor answered that his offers and goodwill shown in works would greatly please him, and that he should ever bear them in memory to honour and favour him as he would a brother. From this province of Patofa, back to the first cacique we found at peace, a distance of fifty leagues, the country is abundant, picturesque and luxuriant, well watered and having good river margins. Thence to the harbour of Espiritu Santo, where we first arrived, the land of Florida, which may be three hundred leagues in length, a little more or less, is light, the greater part of it of pine trees, and low, having many ponds, and in places are high and dense forests, into which the Indians that were hostile betook themselves, where they could not be found, nor could horses enter there, which, to the Christians, was the loss of the food they carried away, and made it troublesome to get guides. Chapter 14. How the governor left the province of Patofa, marching into a desert country, where he, with his people, became exposed to great peril and underwent severe privation. In the town of Patofa, the youth whom the governor brought with him for guide and interpreter began to froth at the mouth and threw himself on the ground as if he were possessed of the devil. An exorcism being said over him, the fit went off. He stated that four days' journey from there towards the sunrise was the province he spoke of. The Indians of Patofa said that they knew of no dwellings in that direction, but that towards the northwest there was a province called Cosa, a plentiful country having very large towns. The cacique told the governor that if he desired to go thither, he would give him a guide and Indians to carry burdens, and if he would go in the direction pointed out by the youth, he would furnish him with everything necessary for that also. With words of love and tendering each other's services, they parted, the governor receiving 700 tamemes. He took maize for the consumption of four days and marched by a road that, gradually becoming less, on the sixth day disappeared. Led by the youth, they forded two rivers, each the breadth of two shots of a crossbow, the water rising to the stirrups of the saddles, and passing in a current so powerful that it became necessary for those on horseback to stand one before another, that they on foot, walking near, might cross along above them. Then it came to another of more violent current and larger, which was got over with more difficulty, the horses swimming for a lance's length at the coming out into a pine grove. The governor menaced the youth, motioning that he would throw him to the dogs for having lied to him in saying that it was four days' journey, whereas they had travelled nine, each day of seven or eight leagues, and that the men and horses had become very thin because of the sharp economy practised with the maize. The youth declared that he knew not where he was. Fortunately for him at the time, there was not another whom Juan Ortiz understood, or he would have been cast to the dogs. The governor, leaving the camp among the pine trees, marched that day, with some cavalry and infantry, five or six leagues, looking for a path, and came back at night very cast down, not having found any sign of inhabitants. The next day, there was a variety of opinion about the course proper to take, whether to return or do otherwise. The country through which they had come remained wasted and without maize, the grain they had so far brought with them was spent. The beasts, like the men, were become very lean, and it was held very doubtful whether relief was anywhere to be found. Moreover, it was the opinion that they might be beaten by any Indians whatsoever who should venture to attack them, so that, continuing thus, whether by hunger or in strife, they must inevitably be overcome. The governor determined to send thence in all directions on horseback in quest of habitations, and the next day he dispatched four captains to as many points, with eight of cavalry to each. They came back at night leading their beasts by the bridle, 
unable to carry their masters or driven before them with sticks having found no road nor any sign of a settlement. He sent other four again the next day with eight of cavalry apiece, men who could swim, that they might cross any ponds and rivers in the way, the horses being chosen of the best that were, Baltasar de Gallegos ascending by the river, Juan de Añasco going down it, Alfonso Romo and Juan Rodriguez Lobillo striking into the country. The governor had brought thirteen sounds to Florida, which he had increased to three hundred swine, and the maize having failed for three or four days, he ordered to be killed daily for each man half a pound of pork, on which small allowance and some boiled herbs the people with much difficulty lived. There being no food to give the Indians of Patofa, they were dismissed, though they still wished to keep with the Christians in their extremity, and showed great regret at going back before leaving them in a peopled country. Juan de Añasco came in on Sunday in the afternoon, bringing with him a woman and a youth he had taken, with the report that he had found a small town twelve or thirteen leagues off, which the governor and his people were as much delighted as though they had been raised from death to life. On Monday, the 26th of April, the governor set out for Aimai, a town to which the Christians gave the name of Socorro. At the foot of a tree in the camp they buried a paper, and in the bark, with a hatchet, they cut these words. Dig here, at the root of this pine you will find a letter. And this was so fixed that the captains, who had gone in quest of an inhabited country, should learn what the governor had done and the direction he had taken. There was no other road than the one Juan de Añasco had made moving along through the woods. On Monday the governor arrived at the town, with those the best mounted, all riding the hardest possible, some sleeping two leagues off, others three and four, each as he was able to travel and his strength held out. A barbacoa was found full of parched meal and some maize, which were distributed by allowance. Four Indians were taken, not one of whom would say anything else than that he knew of no other town. The governor ordered one of them to be burned, and thereupon another said that two days' journey from there was a province called Cotifachiqui. On Wednesday, the three captains came up. They had found the letter and followed on after the rest. From the command of Juan Rodriguez, two men remained behind, their horses having given out, for which the governor reprimanded him severely and sent him to bring them. While they should be coming on, he set out for Cotifachiqui, capturing three Indians in the road, who stated that the mistress of that country had already information of the Christians and was waiting for them in a town. He sent to her by one of them, offering his friendship and announcing his approach. Directly as the governor arrived, four canoes came towards him, in one of which was a kinswoman of the Casica, who, coming near, addressed him in these words. Excellent Lord, my sister sends me to salute you and to say that the reason why she has not come in person is that she has thought to serve you better by remaining to give orders on the other shore, and that, in a short time, her canoes will all be here, in readiness to conduct you thither, where you may take your repose and be obeyed. The governor thanked her, and she returned to cross the river. After a little time, the cacica came out of the town seated in a chair, which some principal men having borne to the bank, she entered a canoe. Over the stern was spread an awning, and in the bottom lay extended a mat, where there were two cushions, one above the other, upon which she sate, and she was accompanied by her chief men in other canoes with Indians. She approached the spot where the governor was, and, being arrived, thus addressed him. Excellent Lord, be this coming to these your shores most happy. My ability can in no way equal my wishes, nor my services become the merits of so great a prince. Nevertheless, 
Good wishes are to be valued more than all the treasures of the earth without them. With sincerest and purest goodwill, I tender you my person, my lands, my people, and make you these small gifts. The Kasika presented much clothing of the country, from the shawls and skins that came in the other boats, and, drawing from over her head a large string of pearls, she threw them about his neck, exchanging with him many gracious words of friendship and courtesy. She directed that canoe should come to the spot whence the governor and his people passed to the opposite side of the river. So soon as he was lodged in the town, a great many turkeys were sent to him. The country was delightful and fertile, having good interval lands upon the streams. The forest was open, with abundance of walnut and mulberry trees. The sea was stated to be distant two days' travel. About the place, from half a league to a league off, were large vacant towns grown up in grass, that appeared as if no people had lived in them for a long time. The Indians said that two years before there had been a pest in the land and the inhabitants had moved away to other towns. In the Barbacoas were large quantities of clothing, shawls of thread made from the bark of trees, and others of feathers, white, grey, vermilion and yellow, rich and proper for winter. There were also many well-dressed deerskins of colours drawn over with designs, of which had been made shoes, stockings and hose. The cacica, observing that the Christians valued the pearls, told the governor that, if he should order some sepulchres that were in the town to be searched, he would find many, and if he chose to send to those that were in the uninhabited towns, he might load all his horses with them. They examined those in the town and found 350 pounds weight of pearls, and figures of babies and birds made of them. According to footnotes in the 1907 text we have used here, we can know that De Soto was in Georgia because of the rivers he crossed, which include the ones today named the Hopi, the Kanuchi and the Ogeechee rivers. Apologies for the pronunciation there. Speaking of which, it might be worth clearing up two terms that are used in this section. The word Tameme was used a couple of times. Although it might have passed by slightly unnoticed, it's used a number of times in this document and it actually means a porter. So I think in this section a local leader gives De Soto some Tamemes, which means it gave him some porters. The other word casica is more important, however. The masculine version of that word has already been used a number of times, cacique. I think it's a Spanish word, I'm not sure if it exists in English or not. Perhaps in this historic context it does exist in English, I'm not sure. But anyway, cacique is a male leader and casica is the feminine version of that word. And I personally, for what it's worth, haven't really come across the word cacique much, but I've only ever come across the casica version of this word in this document. In a previous episode, I noted how rare it is to hear words from local people directly reported in these Spanish documents. However, in this episode, we have the words of a female leader, which is even more rare. Despite that, however, it's perhaps worth stating once again that it's quite hard to believe that these words are direct reports of what was said. We've said previously that the gentleman of Elvis is said to have written this from memory without any notes or diaries. He wrote the original text in Portuguese, reporting words by people who clearly couldn't speak Portuguese and who were speaking through an interpreter to a people who were generally speaking Spanish, not Portuguese. So we can see there the whole confusion of the layers of interpretation. Nevertheless, in some way we've seen glimpses of life in Georgia and South Carolina in the 1500s. In the next episode, this meeting with the Casica, which has so far gone so well, turns sour. We hear rumours of a previous expedition in the area and also learn some uncomfortable details about Hernando de Soto's personality. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode by Long History. That's it for the Southern United States in the 1500s Part 7. 
crossing Georgia and South Carolina. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please don't forget to give it a like, subscribe to listen to the remaining episodes in this series, and if you can't wait for the next one, don't forget there's plenty of episodes to explore on long history. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.